It's good to see you all. Welcome back and to see you all online. How are you? My name is Joe Valenti. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I am the pastor of CBC Youth, our minister, our ministry to middle school and high school students. And this week we continue in our series called Unfiltered, where we're looking at some of the more difficult sayings of Jesus. He didn't always say things that were easy to swallow. Often he had strong words of warning and even condemnation, most often leveled at religious people. And so my sermon title this morning is More Dangerous Than Demons, because Jesus in this entire section of scripture explains that being a religious person is actually more dangerous than the presence of demons. We're getting ready to open our doors to CVC, as Brian mentioned, next week. We're looking forward to that. But according to our text today, being in church might be one of the most dangerous places to be. Not because of the potential spread of the virus, but because all too often, people like you and I who show up to church often, or who tune into the live stream, are in danger of assuming that we're good, right? You've probably heard that before. I've heard, a lot, I've heard a lot of people over my years say, if Jesus were to ask you, why should you go to heaven? Far too many people answer, well, because I'm a good person. Church is just sort of another one of the things that we put in our portfolio of being a good person, and Jesus is having none of it. And so... Uh, I'm going to explain the text. I'm going to look through our text. We're going to read it. I'm going to explain it. And then I have two applications at the end. So I know that Lindsay just prayed for us. But if you would, one more time, uh, let us go to the Lord and ask him to open our ears to hear and our eyes to see what he has for us in his word. Father, we look to you this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit and because of the blood of the Son that we would hear what you have to say. And we have physical ears. We can hear the sound coming out of the speakers. And I'm really loud, so it'll be hard not to hear physically. But what we need is supernatural power that the words from your word might enter in through our ears. That we might see it on the screen or in our Bibles. And that it might wake its way to our hearts in such a way that it would convict us of sin, drive us to repentance. And allow us to live in new levels of freedom and new life that you have offered through the cross. So would you do that supernatural work in and through us this morning? Come Holy Spirit and guide me as I speak your word. Cause me to do it with diligence and clarity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Look to me if you would in Luke 11. We're going to continue there. And Pastor Rick left off last week with the conversation uh, involving the demon that's driven out of the man. And it's the same crowd. So we're in the same scene, same group of people. And the people, if you recall, Jesus drives out this demon and they say, yeah, he's probably doing this under the power of Beelzebul or the, uh, the prince of demons. Or they're saying he's doing this under satanic power. And so they say, give us another sign to prove that you're not 
doing this under the power of Satan. Give us another sign to prove that you really are who you say you are. And in verse 28, it says, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When the crowds were increasing, verse 29, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be assigned to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment and the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. That's the word of the Lord. Hear it. I want to just work through this text beginning back in verse 28. This woman stands up and she says, essentially gives a blessing to Jesus' mother. And in that time, basically, a mother would be blessed or a father could be blessed because of the, 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 the ministry or the things that their son or daughter did. So basically, this woman is affirming Jesus' ministry. In the midst of all of these others who are kind of, uh, you know, going against Jesus and who are saying, eh, you're, you're probably doing this in the power of the Satan, in, in the power of Satan. This woman feels convicted to, to sort of defend Jesus and she blesses his mother and in turn blesses Jesus, affirming his ministry. And so then the crowds continue to gather. So perhaps because this woman speaks up, which was not really uh, a common thing in their culture, more people start coming. So they're kind of getting a little bit of a, of a group here and Jesus has gathered some people. And so what does he say? The crowds are increasing and he says, this generation is an evil generation. Like that's, that's not really the way to keep, keep the crowds coming, right? He says, this generation is an evil generation. And we wonder why is he saying something like this? And he gives us an answer. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So Jesus, the word that he uses in the Greek genea for generation actually means the whole of you. Not just you people in the crowd, but the people that you represent. All Jews of this generation, all of you are an evil generation. And he says this, and he, he answers why. Because you ask for a sign. He had just cast the demon out of this man, and the man who is mute from birth speaks again, and they go, not good enough. Give us something else, big boy. And he levels this condemnation at the whole of them. You are an evil generation. For you seek for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. 
For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Now that's curious, right? If we stumbled across that maybe in our Bible reading plan for the day, we would go, I'm not really sure what he's saying here. And there's a little clue. He says, Jonah became a sign. Well, in what way did he become a sign? We could argue about it, but in a parallel passage in Matthew 12, this same conversation happens, and Jesus explains more fully. He explains that just as Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale, so will the Son of Man, or Jesus himself, be three days in the ground. And so Jesus, in in this statement, is calling the people's minds back to the old Testament, right? If, 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 if you don't know the scene, Jesus is in Judea. He's in Jew country. He's in the land of God's chosen people, right? So these are all people who knew their Old Testament really well. In the parallel passage I just mentioned in Matthew 12, there are a bunch of religious leaders, Pharisees and scribes there, who knew huge amounts of the Old Testament. And so twice in this passage, he references the Old Testament. This first one, he uses Jonah, and he says, just as Jonah was a sign, so I will be a sign. If you don't know the story of Jonah in the Old Testament, essentially what happened is there was a man named Jonah who was called by God to go and preach repentance to the city of Nineveh. And Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and they were known to be horrible, pagan, perverse people. And Jonah wants nothing to do with the Ninevites. He does not want to go preach repentance to them because he knows the depths of God's mercy, and he doesn't want them to have God's mercy, and so he refuses to go. To fast forward in the story a little bit, Jonah ends up getting thrown overboard from the ship on which he is escaping, and God causes a giant sea monster, fish, whale, something to eat him, swallow him, and God performs a miracle allowing Jonah to stay alive inside of that sea monster. And three days later, God causes the fish to spit Jonah up on dry land, and he goes, let's give this another try. Go to the people of Nineveh. And that time, Jonah obeys. And Jonah is a sign in this way. Jonah should have been left for dead. When a giant sea monster eats you, you die. But God performed a miracle through the power of the Holy Spirit. In the same way, Jesus is saying, the Son of Man will be in the ground for three days, and you will think he is left for dead, just like Jonah. But he will come back to life and be seen just like Jonah. And he says to the people, that's the only sign you're getting. And unfortunately, if you continue to read the story, even when that happens, they don't believe. The gospel accounts tell us that the guards who were placed over the tomb of Jesus actually experience the resurrection. They see what happened. They go and they tell the religious leaders what happened. And they say, start spreading lies. Tell, tell all the people that the disciples came and stole his body. That's the story that we're going to give to the people. Even when this sign comes through, just a few chapters later, the Israelites, the Jews, God's chosen people, their hearts are so hard that they refuse to believe. 
And then he uses another example. Verse 31, he says, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So he calls their attention to another Old Testament story. If you look in 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles, you'll see the story of the Queen of Sheba or the Queen of the South coming to visit Solomon. And the Queen of Sheba was probably in like Ethiopia, Yemen, that region, the bottom of the Red Sea. And she traveled a vast amount of miles. I I did a little research. It probably would have taken her between 800 and 1,000 hours to travel on foot with her entourage from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to see and visit Solomon. And she came all of that way because word of Solomon's wisdom has spread throughout the world. That this God of the Israelites had given Solomon this unique level of wisdom and the Queen of Sheba wants it. And so she travels to Jerusalem hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours and she brings all sorts of riches to lavish on Solomon so that he will download wisdom to her so that he can, or so that she can ask him questions and get the answers. And that's what Solomon does. Through the power of God, he, he, he answers all of her questions. And the queen of Sheba responds basically by being dumbfounded, slack-jawed, astounded by what she learns. And Jesus is saying, this pagan queen, 800 hours away, who knew nothing of Yahweh, knew nothing of God, traveled all this way to find wisdom, and she found it. And here I am, something greater than Solomon right in front of your face. You didn't even have to travel. I came the long distance to you, and you won't listen. You have no ears to hear. You have no eyes to see. What is true? And so at the judgment, the queen of Sheba will stand up and condemn this generation for your foolishness. And then in 32, he says, and the men of Nineveh will do the same thing. They will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The story of Jonah continues that Jonah, after his second chance, goes to Nineveh and he walks into town and basically he doesn't give them a nice message. He walks into town and he goes, hey, in a couple days, God is going to destroy you. And the people believe him and they repent throughout the whole city. The king of Nineveh hears about this. And he responds, he repents. They put on sackcloth and ashes, which was a, a, a way in the ancient Near East to show repentance. And he calls a fast in the whole city, not only the humans, but the animals, that we will trust and believe this God that Jonah has brought to us. This pagan, evil, perverse city of Nineveh repents at the preaching of Jonah, and they will stand up and condemn this generation, Jesus says, because something greater than Jonah is here, and you won't. Don't repent. That's the weight of what Jesus is saying. Talk about no filter. And so, what do we do with this? I have two application points for you. One, beware of obedience less worship. 
I could have said disobedient worship. I didn't want to. So get off my back. Obedience less worship. Beware of it. Back to verse 28, this woman speaks up. She's attempting to affirm the ministry of Jesus. In the midst of all the naysayers, she's trying to say, hey, I believe. Blessed be your mother, and by way, blessed be you. And Jesus, he doesn't really reject what she's saying, but he says, rather, blessed are the people who hear my word and do it. As if to say, I'm not interested in just you affirming me. I'm interested in you obeying me. I'm not interested in when I ask the question about your spiritual life, you say, yeah, I go to church or yeah, I believe in God. What I want you to do is obey me. See, during the eight o'clock service, normally, right, right where Ron is sitting here is usually where Elliot Huff sits. And I know if I'm clicking on all cylinders that Elliot is going to give me a steady flow of amens. Right. And then if I'm and if he's not, I'm not preaching God's word like I'm missing. Right. Because Elliot responds to God's word. And others of you might do the same. Right. You may not say it out loud. But in your heart, you might say, amen, Pastor Joe. Right on, Pastor Rick. Preach it, Pastor Chad. Come on, Pastor Josh. Give it to us. Some of you, I don't, I don't know if you were here, if you remember, a while back. I don't even remember because it was off the cuff. I got all fired up. And I said, don't come out into that foyer and tell me good sermon. Obey what the Lord says. And everybody still kind of jokes with me like, I'm not telling you good sermon, but good sermon. Right. Amen. And, <laughs> and this is what Jesus is getting at, essentially. Jesus is saying, don't come into the foyer and tell me good sermon. Don't say, hey, blessed be you, Jesus. Hey, say, hey, I believe in God. Hey, I go to church. Not interested. Do what I say to do. Obey me. Raise your hands and worship all you want. Shoot up the amens. Come to church. Praise the Lord. But we're back to this having ears to hear, right? When we have ears to hear what the Lord says, it goes into our hearts and it causes life change response. I've been over and over and over in this in my own life with our students and with the whole of CVC, just in John chapter 14, Jesus final words to his disciples. He says it four different ways. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. It doesn't get any more clear. And we, I think in Christianity and evangelicalism and like kind of in the world, we've started equating Christianity and, and, and a relationship with Jesus with some sort of ethereal nebulous, I have affection for him. Like, like I like Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy. Like we're, we're, we're good. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Affection is not what I'm after. Saying amen in church service, showing up and affirming me, giving me a, th a thumbs up is not what I'm after. I'm after you hearing what I say and responding to it, obeying it. So 
Beware of obedience-less worship. How much time are you spending worried about whether or not we can be in this building? As opposed to over against obeying the commands that Jesus gave you. Like how, how much, just, you know, just curious, how much time worried about the problems in our culture and what everybody else is saying versus how do I obey Jesus command to me today? Perhaps you wonder, well, what, what, it, what, what do I obey? I would encourage you. Pastor Rick actually mentioned this to me this week. He said, I, I think I need to go back through the gospels. See, just write down a list. What is it that Jesus commands and check it against my life? I preached the first week of COVID out there in the foyer in Luke 9. And the command is that we deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him. Seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6. Do not lust, love your enemies, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Do not fear, honor your parents, honor your marriage covenant, care for the poor, on and on and on, right? These are just a couple. Are you obeying what Jesus said? Or are you just kind of giving him, I like Jesus? Beware, friends, of obedience-less worship. And second, beware of Christ-less morality. See, as I hinted at earlier, the staggering part of this whole text is that Jesus is talking to the very religious, to the God-centric, right? At this point in the story of the history of the world, the gospel had not gone out in... in en masse to the rest of the world. Paul had not gone out on his missionary journeys. The apostles had not gone out outside of Judea to share the message of Jesus. Still, worship of the God of the Bible, worship of Yahweh, was still centered in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria-ish. But outside of there, nobody else was a God worshiper. There are a few stories in the Old Testament, right? The people of Nineveh, the queen of Sheba. But by and large, this is where God worshipers are. These are the churchgoers. These are the religious people. These are the Bible readers. And Jesus is condemning these people. And this is the constant problem that Jesus runs up against in the New Testament. That moral, religious, church-going people think they're okay. Religious people think that they're just fine. And just a few verses later in this text, Jesus is going to talk to the religious elite, the Pharisees, who studied the law of God fiercely. They could, they could memorize many of them and spout off whole books of the Old Testament. And Jesus engages them and he says, you do a really good job of cleaning up on the outside. You're dressed well. You do all the religious activities. You show up at church when you're supposed to. You know how to pray. You know all the Bible memory. But inside of you, Jesus looks right through him. Inside of you is filthy. And that's the warning. It says the same thing if you recall the story of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you're a good Jew. You know what to do. Obey the law, right? Do not steal. Do not covet. Do not kill. Honor your father and mother. And what does the man say? 
I've done all that. What else? Are you kidding me? Can you imagine? Can you imagine, right? Yeah, I'm good. What else? Let's take the story earlier in Luke chapter 5, right? Jesus calls Matthew to be his follower. And Matthew, before he was following Jesus, was a, was a publican or tax collector. And, and tax collectors of that day that were Jews sort of partnered with the Romans. And they taxed the Jews heavily. And they were hated by everybody. And Jesus calls Matthew. And later, he's hanging out with Matthew and some of his tax collector buddies. And here come the religious people. Here come the church people, right? Tell me if you know this scene, right? In our current day. What are you doing hanging out with these sinners? Looking down their nose. And Jesus, Jesus, Jesus says, people who are sick or who are well need no need of a doctor. I, I came for the sick people. I didn't come to call righteous people, but the sinners to repentance as if to say to them, if you're okay, you don't need me. I'm here for the people who recognize they're not okay. I'm people, I'm, I'm here for people who see the sin in their heart and say, I, I need a way out. I need a way for this sin problem to get fixed. But you church people, religious people, if you're okay, what do you need me for? Don't worry about who I'm hanging out with. If you think you're religious, good, moral, and you don't need anything to save you, you're good. You're clueless. The problem with these men and the crowds is not that they haven't seen and heard it all. Right? He said multiple times, something greater than Jonah's here, something greater than Solomon's here. You've either heard or seen about all that I've done. You were here when I cast the demon out of the man. And how deluded must you be to say, ah, he's probably doing this in the power of Satan. I remember years ago, I was shooting a video with the Oceany family, and Shola mentioned that one of the key texts that was vital in his uh, Christian life is Isaiah 64, 6. All of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. The best thing you've ever done, the best thing I've ever done, as compared to the righteousness and the holiness of God, is like filthy rags kind of dumbs it down. The Hebrew word is soiled undergarment. That's what our goodness is like as compared to the righteousness of God. And here's the thing. When you consider these people, their history throughout the Old Testament, the fact that they've read the Bible, the fact that they've, that, that they've dug into God's law, and the fact that Jesus is right in front of them, you and I go, are you insane? We want to shake them and go, what's wrong with you people? Can you not see? Something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. Wake up. That's what I want. Like as I was studying this, I want to go, come on. And then just, as you just close your eyes and let it sink in for a minute, maybe like me, you will go, oh man. That's inside of me. That's inside of me. The religious leader 
the Pharisees and Jovalini's heart. Oh, it's there. Right? He wants so badly to look at these people and go, you fools. And then if we're honest, we go, oh, oh, it's there. It's not them. This message is for me. I'm telling you guys, excuse me, I know enough Bible to fake most people out. I've prayed enough where I can rip off some prayers in a prayer meeting with evil in my heart. And most people won't even know. It's real easy. Excuse me. It's real easy for me to think. Isn't God lucky to have Joe Valenti on his team? I'm doing pretty good. And I was reminded this week the letter to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3. Jesus says to them, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You want to talk about unfiltered. I'm not interested in your fake religion and your thumbs up and your amens. I see right through it. You say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. You say, I'm a good person, and you don't realize you're wretched, pitiable, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. That's reality. And Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Church, especially in these days when we're not together holding one another accountable, beware of Christless morality. It is so easy, like the Laodiceans and like the Jews of Jesus' generation, to prop ourselves up on our morality and think we're doing okay, not realizing the reality that is in our hearts. This is the most terrifying text in the whole Bible, in my opinion. Matthew 7, go read it this week. At the judgment, Jesus tells a story of people who will stand before the judgment throne of God, and he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And they're not the bad people. They go, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, wait, whoa, wait a minute. What do you mean, depart from me? I never knew you. I went to church. I did religious things. They even say we did miraculous signs. I knew all the stuff. I memorized all the scriptures. And Jesus condemns them because they would not admit their sinfulness, humble themselves before him, repent, and receive his mercy. Instead, the picture that he props up, right, is the tax collector goes over in the corner of the church and he gets down. He won't even lift his eyes up and he says, Oh Lord. Oh, would you be merciful to me? I'm such a sinner. 
over against the religious guy who's going, oh, Lord, thank you. I'm not like all of these bad people. If you come to Jesus like the tax collector, he will be merciful. See, what we believe here is that Jesus lived the life that we could never live. Jesus lived a perfect life. If anybody deserves to think he was good, it's Jesus because he was. He lived the life that we could never live, a perfect life. And then he died the death that we deserve to die. We deserve the consequences of our sins, but the nails went through his hands, not yours and not mine. And Jesus rose again, the sign of Jonah, three days later to give us new life, both now and for eternity. There's no greater news in all the world that Jesus came to save sinners. So friends, I would just invite you to own who you really are. That we're poor, pitiable, wretched, and blind. We have no ears to hear except for Jesus. And would we remind ourselves daily of our helpless situation? See, here's the thing. Once we are aware of our Christless morality, once hopefully after today, you would take stock. Am I hoping in myself to be good? Or am I leaning entirely on Jesus? Once we're aware of our Christless morality, we will be compelled to pursue forgiveness. Once we see the sin in our heart, we want to pursue forgiveness and new life in Jesus Christ alone. And once we find him and place our faith in him as the leader and forgiver of our lives, we will be more aware of our obedience-less worship. And that will compel us to cry out to him. And say, Lord, would you help me through the power of your spirit to obey? May the Lord grant you eyes to see his truth, ears to hear it, and the grace to respond to it. Amen.